time. Because I believe that God is trying to get our attention about being free. Being free. Remember what I define freedom as. Freedom is knowing right from wrong and having the ability to do right. And we have preached three Sundays now in February about freedom. Freedom from the gray area. Freedom from guilt. Freedom in finance. And today I want you to, 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 to preach to you with the help of the Lord freedom for life. Freedom for life. Because I believe that God is wanting to move us into the position where we're making right decisions, where we're making his decisions, when we are moving day to day and not just in momentary fashion when the presence of God moves in a Sunday service and we make the decisions in the middle of a Monday or a Tuesday when things aren't going right, that will bring life. I want him to not just remove some shackles from us, but the removal of shackles is really the opening up of making right decisions, of being able to listen and to do what he wants us to do. So Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to read a couple of verses starting at verse number 12. Romans chapter 8, starting at verse number 12, and then I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. And... Uh, Today we're excited, we'll be having our next steps class in, our, in the office right after church today, so we look forward to joining those of you that are newer to our church, and, and things are happening around Spirit of Grace, and we're excited about it. Romans chapter 8 verse 12 says, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Say, I'm not obligated. I want you to notice that. The, the scripture doesn't say that he has released you from it. He says he has given you no obligation to it. You are not obligated to answer or listen to your own sinful flesh. This is not, what, I, what I'm trying to say is, is once you come to God, you're not dealing just with God. God just doesn't do it for you. You have the ability not to be obligated to it. You have the ability. I don't know if you've realized or connected the dots the last couple of weeks. I have not preached what God can do for us. I have preached what we can do for ourselves. We can make the decision to get out of the gray area and get on fire for God. Or we can decide in the cold season of life that we can listen to him and focus in on him. Then I preached about guilt. It's up to you and I to overcome the guilt because now through the help of the spirit. But in other words, God just doesn't give it up. You've got to have an action with it. Last week we talked about our finances. God's not going to pry your wallets open. God is waiting for you to freely open up and return his investment and open up your checkbooks and your wallets and give faithfully to the kingdom of God. That, that, that's, our, uh, that's on our behalf. And so today I'm not switching and flip-flopping and saying, now God's gonna, there is something that you and I can do to bring eternal life to who we are. Don't misunderstand me when I say that. I believe that we are saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. But too often we quote that scripture and we talk about the grace of God and we talk about the gift of God, but we forget to put the two words in there that grace is activated through our faith. You've got to do something and I've got to do something. 
And so the Bible says it this way. You're not obligated to do it. For if you live by its dictates or the dictates of your old sinful flesh, you're going to die. If you listen, just picture the two little angels on your shoulders, the angel and the imp. And you're listening to that little demon in the corner of your ear that's saying, go ahead and do it, go ahead and do it. God really doesn't care. You, you need to have this. You, it's, not, it's more than just one. You've got to have that. You've got to dump the money into that. You've got to spend your time on that. You're not going to be happy if you don't. And, and you listen to it. Listen, you don't have to listen to that. You can close off your ears to the voice that would destroy you. But if you listen and follow the dictates of that voice, you're going to die. That's not me. I didn't say it. Scripture said it. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death, you've got to do it. The, the, the King James Version says if you'll mortify, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Now, I've got to tell you that scripture, it can get a little confusing because the way we think about being led usually is the way we lead our pets. Okay? We lead, we put a leash on Gracie and we walk and she goes where we want her to go. Whether she fights us or not, she's going to take us and she's going, or we're going to take her and we're going to lead her wherever she wants or wherever we want and then she's going to follow. That's the picture we get when it says as many as are led of the spirit, they are the children of God. Okay, we have this connotation in our head, this picture in our head that God is in front of us, he's holding on to us and he's dragging us wherever and if we lead and we follow wherever he's going, then, but we don't have much of a choice because we're connected to him and he's got a leash on us. But that's not what the scripture is teaching. I learned this when for a while, for those of you that don't know, we bought another dog that was, Gracie's just this little thing that, you know, you can lift with one hand. Then we bought this bigger dog. And then to watch us walk that dog, we had the same kind of leash. It was in the same hand. Our feet were walking the same direction, but Bella was directing where we were going. Because Bella was bigger than we were and stronger than we were. Now, please don't misunderstand. So what was happening is we were still, we were still the leader. We were in charge. We were the ones that were holding the leash. But too often it was her that was dictating where we were going. And so the question today is, what size dog are you? Are you Gracie size or Bella size? Are you willing to be leashed to the things of God and let him dictate where you go even when it doesn't feel good and let him yank on your chain a little bit to get you to come back to where you're going and, and, and get to pull you and, and you walk down the street where, you, where he wants you to walk down there? Or have you gotten too big in your own self and too, and too important in your own self that you're a Bella-sized dog now and you may be leashed to God, you may be connected to him, but you are fighting against him and you are pulling against him and you are trying trying to dictate the direction that you're going. The Bible says it this way. If you will put to death. 
Not God. God doesn't kill your old man. You've got to offer up your old man. And if you will, the Bible promises that you will live. But if you do not, if you follow the dictates of your old character, your old character is the character of Bella. It's the one that pulls against it. It's the one that wants to do what it's on on their own. It's the one that wants to go where it wants to go, when it wants to go, and do the things that it wants to do, no matter who's holding on. You see, I'm talking about freedom. I'm talking about doing that which is right. And so when I began thinking about this passage of Scripture, what, well, God, what does it mean to, for me to put my deeds to death? How, how can I do that? Well, let me share a passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 11. A Scripture that for years caused me difficulties in understanding because it did not make sense to me. But Matthew chapter 11, verse number 12, it says this. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. That sounds good in the NLT. But in the KJV, in the King James, it says it this way. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. And so I got troubled in my spirit several years ago. And thank God for a pastor's wife that wrote something years and years ago and it was put in the front of an ABI yearbook. Jesse Norris wrote something and it just totally blew my mind. As I began to read that 50 years after she wrote it and, and struggling with this passage, what does it mean that the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violence, can I get so violent with God that I can take over the kingdom? That's dangerous thinking, but that's what it sounds like. And so people like the translators of the New Living couldn't wrap their head around that when the kingdom of heaven can suffer violence and those that are violent can take it. So they looked into it in a different perspective and they said it's talking about just people constantly attacking the kingdom of the kingdom. But that's not what the scripture is saying. He says it from John until now. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. So I'm thinking, oh my word, what in the world, God? Uh, You've opened up this scripture and I've heard it preached and I don't necessarily understand it, but it's not ringing true the way it's being preached. What are you talking about? And then I found that article and I started putting some two, two and two together. What was John the Baptist's ministry all about? Repentance. Repentance was what John the Baptist was all about. So from the time of John the Baptist, repentance was preached until Jesus came in. And when Jesus came in, he he says the kingdom has been suffering violence and the violent takes it by force. You enter through into the kingdom of heaven through force until the time of Jesus. This does not necessarily apply specifically to you and I because Jesus made a different way and I'm gonna share that in a minute. But do you understand where repentance comes from? In the Old Testament, when Moses began to lead the children of Israel through the wilderness, God says, I need you to make me a tabernacle where I can meet with my people. And just Google it because I don't have three years to go into the tabernacle plan today. You'll never stay that long. 
But, but, but if you look at the tabernacle plan, the very first piece of furniture within, when you entered his courtyard of the tabernacle where God was going to meet with people, the very first thing that you came to was something called the brazen altar. It was a square thing. It was a little bit elevated and it's where the flames of fire went up. And when you walked in, you would hand a sacrifice, whether it be a lamb, whether it be a dove, whether it be a bull, uh, whatever it was, you would hand that sacrifice to the high priest and that high priest would put that animal onto the, 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 the altar, the brazen altar, if you will. And, and, but, but there was some things that were done before that. And I don't mean to be gross and gory, but it was a violent situation because you take a bull or you take a goat or you take a turtle dove, they're not just going to crawl up on that hot sacrifice altar on its own. And you're not going to be able to just lift it until you first kill it. And so what the priests would do is they would slit the throat and they would drain the blood into the bucket because that blood was going to be used on the mercy seat later because in the scripture, if you read in the book of Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Until blood is shed, your sins cannot be washed away. Until blood is shed, you cannot make it into the kingdom of heaven. And so the tabernacle plan comes in and so these people, it was a disgusting mess. Now, I have never been, I've been to two slaughterhouses in my life. I have actually one slaughterhouse and a neighbor in the backyard. (laughs) I had my whole family there for Thanksgiving, and I look out in the back, and hanging from the back of their deck is two deer that they decided to catch and take care of right there in the backyard. And, and, And then with my job, I have delivered to the Concord Meat Company down in South St. Paul in That's where they take care of chickens and things. It is a disaster. It is violent. There's a lot of noise. There's no quietness to it. It is the most violent thing that I can ever imagine. It was noisy at the brazen altar. It was noisy because of the sacrifice. It was noisy because of the priest. It was noisy because of the people. But you could not get any closer to God until that happened. And the violence of that altar and the violence of that sacrifice prepared the way so that you could step into something greater in God. I don't know about you, but... When we, when we lived in Albert Lee, we lived there for about a year. My dad pastored the church there, and uh, we were there for about a year. And the problem with Albert Lee was we lived on the wrong side of the wind. What I mean by that is we were downwind of the Hormel plant. Yeah, so you get the picture. It was the most disgusting odor because of the processing of everything that Hormel was processing. Can you imagine what the smell and the odor around the altar was in the Old Testament? It was violent. It was noisy. It was a mess. 
It was not clean. It's the reason why the next step in the, the, was the laver of water where they could, the high priest would go and they would cleanse themselves. And then they would step to the next thing, which was the altar of incense. And they would begin to, to, to burn sweet smelling incense unto God. All of this was symbolizing what was to come. And so John the Baptist comes along and he starts preaching repentance. He starts preaching, make way, the, make straight the way of the Lord. He starts preaching, come to, to repent, you sinner, you viper. He, he, wasn't, he, was, he was not politically correct when he began to preach. And yet crowds rushed in because he was preaching something that was violent but it was necessary. And so all kinds of people came and he was pre and so Jesus comes along and he says from the time of John the Baptist till now the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and, and the violent what was happening all kinds of people were coming to repentance. And the repentance, while it wasn't like Old Testament repentance, it wasn't Old Testament sacrifice, people were finding a way. When you begin to repent of your shortcomings and your sins, you are violently acting. There's something in the spirit that violently takes place in your spirit. There is a wrenching and a, and a, and a, and a, uh, uh, destruction of flesh and, and mind and attitude and everything that you've done wrong and that you've lived, there's something that is so violent about it because you have knelt before the altar of God and you have placed that thing that is holding you on the altar and there is a nasty odor to it and there is a nasty mindset to it and there is some blood that is shed and there's some things that have taken place. But what Jesus was saying, he was saying now something is getting ready to switch because you don't have to take your physical sacrifices anymore because I'm going to be your physical sacrifice. And the Bible says it this way, he became sin for us and died on the cross. And so when he went to the cross and he died, it was a symbol, it was a symbol and similar to that which happened in the Old Testament at the brazen altar. And what took place was that there was, a, there was destruction and there was violence. Listen, it was not, uh, how many have ever had a spanking? That's not what Jesus got. He, they, they took what was called a, a, a cat of nine tails. It was about this long of a whip. They put bone and glass chips and all kinds of rocks and they would interrupt it and, and then they would take it and they would begin to beat the back. And, and we say beat them on the back, but it's really from neck to heel is, is what they would just, and it was at least, we think it was at least 39 lashes, 39 times nine tails. You, you, you do the math. It was bloody, it was gross. And I'm sorry, if it, it, I, I'm not sorry because this is Jesus. It was violent when they took, they, they didn't just take a, 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 a number eight nail. It was probably this big. It was probably, it was actually probably square, so I can't make a square, but it was probably that big round. And I'm sorry, but the Roman soldiers weren't merciful. merciful. They weren't kind and said, oh, this is gonna hurt. This is gonna pinch just a little bit. And can I just tell you that if Jesus was really crucified through the palms, that I can almost handle because that is, there's not much, it doesn't hurt that much. 
You can pinch right here and you can pinch pretty good before there's a lot of pain. But you go up where it was actually happening right in here and you pinch there a little bit. You let me pinch there, I'll have you on your knees. If you pinch there, you, you may just kind of look at me funny. It was violent. Violent. Through his, his feet. Crown of thorns. Not gently placed, but pushed onto his brow and probably beat with a reed. And it wasn't a rose bush thorn. Those thorns are probably two to three inches long and hard as a tree itself. Interwrapped and twined, put on his head. Pastor, why are you being so graphic? I'm being so graphic because I'm trying to tell you that Christ made a way for you to live. And you don't have to suffer the violence anymore. You don't have to suffer the violence anymore. You don't have to show up here and bring an offering. And, and, and thankfully, we have air fresheners here because it, it, otherwise it would, it would stink to high heaven here. So where am I getting at? Here's what I'm getting at. Paul shifted our thinking in Romans. Paul, the Bible says, was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Was raised in it. He knew what the tabernacle was. He knew what the sacrifice was. He knew the gore. He knew what the cross was. So now he's writing to the Romans and he's saying, all that was done so that you didn't have to answer to your flesh. Christ died on a cross for your freedom. He did not die on a cross and by dying on the cross, he did not reach to you and pull your sin from you but he set you free to make the right choice. He said it this way on the cross. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. I don't believe that statement was just for those that were at the foot of the cross that were making fun of him and those that had crucified. I believe that statement was for you and I. Forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. In Acts chapter two, it says he poured out his spirit. The apostle Peter preached it this way. This is that which was spoken by the prophet uh, Joel. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. His spirit has been poured out on everybody. So why is not everybody filled with the spirit? If forgiveness is a blanket forgiveness, why do some of us not feel forgiven? If, if mercy and grace at the cross was freely given, why don't we feel grace-filled or mercy-filled? Why in the back of our mind are we still answering to the dictates of our old thinking, still answering to the dictates of our sinful flesh? The, 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 the sinful flesh that the Bible says is enmity or enemy of God. 
Why are we still, why are we doing what Paul said in Romans chapter 7 when it says, I don't do that which I know I should, and I want to do it right, but I don't do it. And, and I'm missing this up, and I'm missing that up, and, and, and that's Tim Sanders' version. And, and, and I'm doing this, and I shouldn't be doing it, and even though I know I shouldn't be doing it, I'm still doing it. I am a mess. Why? I'll tell you why. Because we haven't put to death the deeds of our body. We haven't taken the step to the cross and killed it at the cross. Until you are willing to be crucified with Christ daily, you will battle your old man and its dictates. Well, Pastor, I'm trying to live for God and it's just so hard because I, why? Because you haven't taken up the nails and attached yourself to the cross. That's what Paul said he did. He said it this way in Galatians. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth within me. And that which I now do, I do by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see what the difference is? The difference is you making the decision. It's yours. Can I just tell you, if you have a bad attitude, God's not going to take it away from you. If you have hate, God's not going to take it from you. If you have unforgiveness, God's not going to take it from you. You've got to make the move. But when you make the move, God is standing there like Paul taught as the father. He's standing there ready to receive it and fill you and breathe into you. I invite you to stand. I have a question for you today. And that is this. Some of you are struggling to live for God and do the things of God. And your life has become jumbled up. And at one point you're saying, God, I just, I want to do what you want me to do. But it's so hard. And it's so hard because I, you're asking me to give this up. And you're asking me to give this attitude up and you're asking me to forgive that person and you're asking me to embrace that person and you're asking me to show grace to that situation and you're asking me to be merciful to that situation and to that person and you're asking you're asking, God I can't do all of that yes you can You just have to want to. 
You just have to want to. And sometimes we have to push ourselves. Sometimes we have to eat the peas on the plate. Sometimes we have to have the squash. When I was a kid, I hated all that stuff. I hated it because I didn't think it looked good. So I just didn't taste it. And anybody that asked, I said, I don't like it. Until I tried it. And when I tried it, I liked it. See, pastor, I can't give that up. Yeah, you can. You just have to love him more than you love you. You just have to be Gracie instead of Bella. You just have to let him pull the leash and not you pull the leash. Because the scripture that we read in Romans, for they that are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. When you break that down and you begin to look, you can't be led unless you're willing to follow. That led doesn't mean that God is forcing you to go different directions and do different things. That led means, are you willing to follow? And the way that you know you're willing to follow is if you will put to death, if you will hang it on the cross of Calvary, if you will place it on the Old Testament altar of sacrifice. And let me say, it's sacrifice. Can I just tell you that if I have been offended by Randy, he may not know it, but if I've been offended, I need to forgive him. But sometimes it's a sacrifice to forgive. But I'm not doing him any good and I'm not doing me any good by holding on to my offense. So I've got to nail it to the tree and put it to death and say, I'm not even going to think about that anymore. I want you to close your eyes and I want to make one more statement and then I'm going to ask you to respond to the presence of God and that is simply this statement. Have you given grace and mercy as you have received grace and mercy? Have you given grace and mercy as you have received grace and mercy? That which God gave to you, the mercy that was bestowed upon you, the grace that was given to you, have you tried to hoard it on your own and say, oh, that's so wonderful, God? Or have you tried to give it to another and say, as God has given it to me, I am now giving it to you? Because God doesn't hold grudges. God lets things go when we repent, when we place it at Calvary. So now I want you to do me, do yourself a favor. In just the next couple of minutes, I want you to think of at least one thing that you know you're supposed to put to death and you just haven't yet. Well, pastor, I've lived for God for years. All of us, me included, all of us have something today 
that we need to place on the altar of sacrifice. All of us have something to release unto God. All of us have been holding on to something and we don't even realize that it is eating us up and killing us. Because when we follow the dictates of that mindset, of that old man, scripture tells us you're gonna surely die. But if you'll put it on the altar of death, put it on the altar of violence, when you do that, you shall live. My question to you today is simply this. Is there anybody that's willing to step out of your seat and head to this altar with the mindset that I am putting this thing to death once and for all so that I can live in him? Is there anybody willing to do that right now? Make your way. Make your way. Don't be ashamed. We've all got it. Yeah. Mm. Jesus. If you're feeling condemned right now, you need to speak to that and say it's a lie because this is not a spirit of condemnation. This is a spirit of conviction. I have not preached to condemn you. I have preached to draw you closer to Christ because your actions toward him will always draw you closer to him. Are you willing to put that to death? Are you willing to release that unto him? Now, I can't do this for you, but all across the front of this platform in this altar area, in your way, in words, some of you are already kneeling, in the way that you respond to God, you just need to start placing it. Lord, I place this attitude on the altar of sacrifice. I want to put this to death so that your spirit can strengthen me and move in me. Lord, I put this situation, I put this divide, God. I put, I put this sin, this thing that I have done that, that I know was not right. I'm placing it on the altar of sacrifice and the altar of death because where there is no shedding of blood, there is no remission. And so I've come to Calvary today, God, asking you to forgive me as I forgive myself. Lord, I'm placing this on the altar. I place it on the altar. Lord, I place, God, this shortcoming. I place this attitude. I place this action. I place this mentality. I place this emotion. I place hate and anger. I place the, 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 the doubts and the fears. Lord, I place my anger toward my brother or my sister. I, I place, Lord God, the attitude and the question and the fear and the aggravation, God, of the situation that I'm in. Lord, that which has sprung up a little bit of bitterness in me, I release that to you right now and I am putting to death the thing that's in me that would hinder me from being alive in you so that your spirit can take up residence where I have emptied myself out to you. He's doing it right now as you're reaching out to him, as you're reaching out to him right now in the name of the Lord. 
God, now I'm asking you as people are emptying themselves of you and placing it on an altar of sacrifice, I'm asking for the almighty power and spirit of God to begin to be that wind that blows where it lifteth, listeth and we don't know where it came from or where it's going, but we see the effects of it. Lord, I'm asking you from side to side and from front to back, let the winds of your spirit flow in this place right now. In the name of Jesus, wash us and cleanse us. Make us whole right now in your eyes. Make us right in your eyes. Forgive us, oh God. And help us to forgive those that... Jesus, 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 praise God. Just before Moise comes, I want you to know and challenge you. Paul said it this way. He said, I die daily. I know this isn't one of those messages that we're jumping from the rafters. But you can't jump from the rafters until you die on the altar. When you wake up tomorrow, when you wake up on Tuesday, when you live your life this week, have this prayer in the back of your mind. Lord, I die to you today. Can I just give it to you in Jesus' words? (laughs) Not my will, but thy will be done today. I want to die in you so that you can live in me. Because when you live in me, Lord, everything works out for your glory.